Well, good morning, Lakeside. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, singing sounded great from all of you. I was standing over here, but this section, wow. Today, good job over there. That was, that was good stuff. I'm so, so thankful that we can gather together on this first day of the week and celebrate Jesus risen from the grave and give him praise together as the body of Christ. Amen. So, so thankful for that. Well, we're diving back in to our series in 1 Corinthians, Messy Church, Majestic Gospel. And I'd invite you this morning to take your copy of God's Word and open it up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you don't have your own copy, uh, there's an insert in the bulletin, use that. And so I'm going to read for us the first five verses of 1 Corinthians Chapter 2. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech And my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is the word of the Lord. This is his word, not my word. I want you to be reminded of that as we dive into this passage today. You know, let me recap a little bit where we have been in this series up to this point. We started out this series focusing on that Paul is writing a letter to the believers in Corinth who are facing many messy situations brought on really by their own hearts. The first of which is that they are divided over human messengers We have seen them break up into these groups that are following Paul or Apollos or Cephas or or Jesus. And as they are divided in this way, they are leaning on worldly wisdom, which Pastor Trevor talked about last week, and not on godly cross wisdom, which brings us to our passage today, where Paul speaks about his weaknesses and his mess so that once again, he can turn the attention of the readers and our attention to the majestic message of the cross. And so today, my outline is very simple. Though I have some sub things, but my outline is very simple. It's messy messenger, majestic message. That's it. So would you join me as we pray and invite God to do a work in our hearts through his word. God, we are here once again. Thank you that you've gathered us together. And we're here once again to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that your words would come out loud and clear today and not mine. That you would have me just get out of the way of this majestic message that I am still in awe of. And Lord, that you would take many in this room who are dead in their trespasses and in their own sin, that you would take them from death to life today through the message of the cross. And Lord, for those of us who know you, who have a relationship with you because we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we've been rescued, God, I pray today that you would captivate us even more 
by the wondrous cross. We love you. We are looking forward to what you're going to do through this time together in your word. May your spirit work in our hearts through the power of your name. And it's in that great name I pray. Amen. So let's look today, first of all, at the messy messenger. Let's look at Paul himself. Notice right away in verse one what he tells the people, what he tells the readers. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, past tense. So he's calling them to remember back to when he first came to Corinth with the message of the cross. He says, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come preaching to you the wisdom of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In fact, what he says in verse three is that he tells them that he was with them in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Well, thankfully, we can do this today because God in his sovereignty gave us the book of Acts and gave us the information about Paul first arriving in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. So we can go back and we can remember, as he's calling the people of Corinth to do, we can remember what it was like when Paul came first, not with lofty speech of wisdom, but with weakness and in fear and much trembling, and his speech and message, it, wasn't not, it was not plausible words of wisdom. So we can go back and see that for ourselves. So let me remind you about Paul and his messy life. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Then God miraculously, Jesus called him to himself on the road to Damascus. And if you remember some of the things that happened once he start, was a follower of Christ... Do you remember what took place? When he left Damascus, he did so in a basket on the side of a wall being dropped down because people were seeking his life. He was stoned and left for dead at one point. He was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. He was ran out of Thessalonica. He was scoffed at Athens. He was the center of many riots that took place. And now he comes to Corinth. And so you can understand, you know, you think you had a bad day today. Think you had a bad week this week. Uh, No, Paul, in weakness and in fear and much trembling, he came to Corinth. And so that brings us to Corinth. He gets there, and instead of doing what everybody would do in Corinth, what Corinth was known for, as Pastor Trevor reminded us of last week, is they were noted, they were noted for and they were known for the TED Talks. These people getting up with great eloquence of speech and all this rhetoric, and people are just like, oh, you're amazing, that's so good, that's so great. And Paul's like, I'm not playing that game. I'm not gonna play that game. And so in Acts chapter 18, you can go back there if you'd like and flip to that. Acts chapter 18, we see these things happen. We see Paul comes into Corinth. He finds Aquila and his wife Priscilla, and they're tent makers, and so is Paul. So he lives with them, and he is a tent maker throughout the week. 
And then Paul would go to the synagogue and try to persuade Jews and Greeks about Jesus. And to the Jews, he would testify to them that, this, that the Messiah, the one who they're waiting for, this anointed one, was actually Jesus, the one who they crucified and rose again from the grave. And he does that, and it gets to a point where they refuse to listen to him, and they don't want anything to do with this guy. And he realizes that, and so he shakes off his garment out of the synagogue, and he says, your blood be on your hands. And he walks out of the synagogue and goes right next door to a Gentile's house. And it's when he's at the Gentile's house that the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, and his entire household come and believe in Jesus and are baptized. And after that moment, we have a restless night of sleep for Paul because it tells us in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, that the Lord, said, that the Lord came to Paul one night in a vision. Paul had six of these visions in his whole entire lifetime, and they were very, each one was very timely as this one is. Jesus comes to Paul one night in this vision, probably 3 a.m. Anybody with me? Wake up at 3 a.m. and anxious. In your weakness, in your fear, in your trembling, you're awake at 3 a.m. Paul, right here. And God, Jesus, comes to him and says, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, Paul, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And so Paul stays a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. What amazing grace and mercy that Jesus and Paul's weakness in his fear and trembling, that he would meet Paul right where he is and say, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Keep speaking. Because I got lots of people in this town who are going to come to know me. So keep doing it. Keep after it. You know, every single one of us in this room, as Pastor Trevor already mentioned, we're messengers. We're missionaries. And we're all messy, amen? And as we strive to be faithful believer to Jesus, albeit imperfectly striving, his grace and mercy are given every step of the way, and he's with us every step of the way. And he will be faithful. And we can... Trust that, even in our mess. And so Paul was messy. It wasn't just a great life of, and we think of him as this great, and we should. He wrote, God used him to write most of our New Testament. And yet, he was persecuted every step of the way. And when he went to the next town to tell them about Jesus, he was in weakness, with fear and trembling, in his human mess. And so that brings us then to this majestic message then. And here's what Paul says. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, here's what he says. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was resolved, determined. That's the word actually, decided. The New American Standard does a really good job. The version does a really good job of translating this word decided to the word determined. He says, I determined, I am resolved to know nothing else but Christ and him crucified. That was the main thing in all that he taught and all that he did was Christ and him crucified. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, to know Christ and his birth. He doesn't say to know Christ and his teachings, to know Christ and his healings, to know Christ and his miracles. Those are all good, but the main thing that Paul wants to know above all else and among all the people that he ministers to is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Which begs the question, why? Why, of all the great things of Christ, why his most humiliating moment? Why his most seemingly power, most powerless moment? Where he was stripped naked and nailed to a cross and then raised for all to see and to scoff at. Why, Paul, would you be determined to know nothing among all the people except Jesus Christ and him crucified? It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness, right? We talked about that last week. It's foolishness to the world. But not to the one who knows Jesus, who's a believer Can I remind you this morning about why Jesus Christ and him crucified? Can we just have a little moment here where we just bask in this great event that took place in Jesus Christ and him crucified? Let me remind you of these things. This is not a complete list. We could be here all day talking about the greatness of Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is to give you a taste of it and to remind you, believer, of the greatness of it. Here it is, first of all, we see supreme fulfillment in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Supreme fulfillment. This message was prophesied 700 to 1,000 years before it took place. It was prophesied through David in Psalm 22, through the prophet of Isaiah that Pastor Trevor read in Isaiah 53. It was all about Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible and then the rest of the Old Testament, the prophets, everything else, all was pointing towards the cross and Jesus Christ and him crucified. And way back in Genesis, when sin first entered this world through Adam and Eve, it was mentioned, it was told by God that it was going to be Christ and him crucified. Do you remember? Genesis 3.15, when God is talking to the snake, Satan, he makes this statement to him. He says, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and you. 
and her offspring, the offspring of the woman, Jesus, he will crush your head, Satan, and you will bruise his heel. Jesus Christ and him crucified right there. Their supreme fulfillment when Jesus went to the cross. He fulfilled all the prophecies. Not only that, but we see a supreme sacrifice in Jesus Christ and him crucified. We know that Adam and Eve's sin led to death. They were cast out of the garden, no longer to eat from the tree of life but not immediate death. What did God do? God took animals and took the skins of the animals and clothed them, covered their shame, their nakedness through the death of an innocent animal. God then provided animal sacrifice for the people to have them do that, to demonstrate, he wanted them to do that to demonstrate that through an innocent sacrifice to bleed and die, the guilty then could have covering of sins. But Christ, the supreme sacrifice, not being an animal, but being fully man, just like us, and fully God, sinless, became that supreme sacrifice, the once and for all that would not just cover sins temporarily, but completely take them away and do away with them all forever. So now we could stop there, right? Amen? Let me give you a few more. Supreme transaction took place with Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that for our sake, God made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. We might be perfect like Jesus. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. This happened with Jesus Christ and him crucified. There was a moment on the cross where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And oh, if I would just understand the depths of that statement, it would change my life. Because in that exact moment, Christ became sin for us. And because of that, the God, the Father, could not have the fellowship that he had with him for all of eternity past. And it was broken in that moment, something I will never understand. But it was broken for me at that moment because Jesus was sin for us. And God forsake his, forsake his, his son. And then at the end of Jesus's day on that cross, he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished, which is the word tetelestai, which means paid in full. The transaction is complete. I've paid for all their sins. If they believe in me, it's my righteousness for their guilt and their sin. What an amazing, supreme transaction that took place at the cross. Not only that, but supreme salvation. Peter, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he said this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, 
which now has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Supreme salvation offered to all only in the name of Jesus and Jesus Christ and him crucified. Supreme access is another one. At the time of Christ's death, what took place? At the time of Christ's death, it was the time of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb in the temple. And what did God do? God tore the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where God resided from the rest of the world. He broke that curtain. He tore that curtain from top to bottom, right down the middle, signifying that all are welcome to come to him and that he could go out to them now because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Believers, you and I have supreme access today to the very throne of God wherever we are, whenever we are. And not only all those things, but we have a supreme hope. There's a supreme hope found in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus predicted his crucifixion, and with that, he always said that he would rise again. The disciples didn't get it, but here's what he said, Mark chapter 10, 33 through 34. He's on his way to Jerusalem with the disciples, and he tells them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. We're headed to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and they will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You see, the resurrection in order to be a resurrection, had to have a death, had to have Jesus Christ and him crucified. His crucifixion led to his resurrection, which supplies a supreme, sure hope that nothing else can in this world. It truly is a majestic message, amen? And let me tell you, it will have majestic results as you allow it to penetrate your heart and to fill your affections. And here's the results. First one we know and we see is that you will have peace with God and peace from God. Peace with God and peace from God. Let me remind you in Romans chapter five, verse one, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since, he says, therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been declared righteous because of Christ and Christ crucified, we can be declared righteous. And because of that, then we have peace with God. We're no longer his enemy. We're his friend. We're his child. We have complete peace with God. Colossians 1.20 tells us that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I have to ask you today because this is where my heart is. Do you have peace with God today? If you do, say amen. And if you don't, 
If you don't realize today that he provides it for you, it's provided for you. And all you have to do is by believing that this is true, you admit that you are a sinner and you agree with God that you can't save yourself through good works or religious acts. And then you profess with your mouth that Jesus was crucified for you in your place and you ask him to come into your life as Lord and Savior. And he will. Let me testify, he will and he will transform your life. And then once you have done that, I cannot tell you today that everything will be great. There are churches out there that will tell you that. That's not what God says. God says, in fact, in this world, you will have trouble because I've called you out of this world. You will face trouble. But here's the thing, believer. But the peace of God will come in and be with you the rest of your life and into eternity to guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ Jesus and him crucified. Amen. To know Christ and him crucified would be vital for the believers in Corinth, right? They have no peace. They're bickering. They're arguing, who's better? Paul, Cephas, Peter, Jesus. They need peace. And Paul's like, turn your focus to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Second result, prioritizing eternity. A prioritizing of eternity. To know Christ and him crucified is to have the key to unlocking abundant life here on earth and eternal life with him in heaven. You see, the cross of Jesus, it stands at the apex of all human history. We just talked about it. Genesis, everything that happens from the beginning of time to the cross is pointing to the cross. And everything after the cross And Jesus Christ and him crucified is pointing back to it. That's what I'm doing today. That's it. And it's all because eternity matters. Every single person in this room who's alive and breathing and every person who has been created before us, they were created, we were all created for eternity. Not for the here and now. Not for this world. And knowing that, and that Christ and him crucified is the key to it all, causes us to prioritize eternity. And if we are prioritizing eternity, believers, we will see people as souls. You are all messengers. Do you see all the people around you as souls? We will see people as souls, either on their way to heaven or on their way eternally separated from God in a place called hell. To know Christ and him crucified and nothing more allows us then to give the remedy for sin to the people around us. And for some of you, that might be an unbelieving spouse. That might be unbelieving kids. 
That might be unbelieving friends, neighbors, and coworkers. But we, knowing Christ and him crucified, then we have the remedy to tell them so they can be rescued as well. Prioritizing eternity also will give us a vision for being Christ-like. It'll help us as believers to live moral lives that are more and more Christ-like. The eternal standing that you, brother and sister, have with God is the righteousness of Jesus, his perfection. Remember Pastor Dave in chapter one of 1 Corinthians? Paul says, they will stand guiltless before God. That's the reality for every believer in this room that you and I will stand guiltless before God today, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I know, believe me, I know in my life, we still sin, we still struggle with sin, but to know Christ and him crucified will motivate us to struggle well and take sin seriously. The great missionary to the American Indians, David Brainerd says this, I never got away from Jesus and him crucified. I found that when my people were gripped, when they were gripped by this great doctrine, I had no need to give them instructions about morality. One followed as the sure and inevitable fruit of the other. And so we'll have a vision for souls, a vision for being Christ-like if we know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, too many believers today and churches today are captivated by all the packaging around Jesus, all the things that we do to, to get Jesus out there and they miss the package, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Believers, when the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified captivates us, we will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we understand more and more each day the insurmountable cost that Christ paid for my sins, for your sins, we will live more and more in the state of repentance of turning away from the world and all it has to offer and running to Christ, our Savior. And this week I found myself and I implore you as believers today, we need to beg God today and every day to captivate us with Jesus Christ and him crucified so that our lives will shine brightly to others so that they can be rescued through this majestic message that we have. The last one here is depending on the all-sufficient one. It's the last result of knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice Paul says this right in our text. In verse four, he says, in my speech and my message, they weren't implausible words. They weren't gonna make sense to you, worldly wisdom. They weren't gonna make sense. But they were in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, let me 
share with you quickly a couple of secrets. They're not really secrets. First, we will and we will always continue in every sermon to talk about the cross of Jesus because one, it helps unbelievers come to know Jesus himself and have eternal life. And it helps believers, all of us, to know how to articulate the gospel to the people around us that are in our mission field. And you do that depending on God and his spirit and his power, not your own. And the second thing then is this. Pastor Dave, Pastor Trevor, Pastor Tony, and myself do not cling to any one of us. Do not cling on anything we say, anything we do. Cling, please cling to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Please. In closing, I have to ask, are you determined? Are you determined? Am I determined like Paul was? Paul said, for I decided, for I'm determined to know nothing among you, among this world. I'm decided and I'm determined and I'm resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Unbelieving one who today you're here at Lakeside. Maybe this is the first time you're here. Maybe this is multiple times you're here. Unbelieving one who's leaning in to Jesus Christ and him crucified today. He has done all the work required for your eternal life. All of it. Turn from your sin today. Turn from your own ways of trying to reach heaven and simply admit that you are a sinner and believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and receive the free gift he's offered to you today. You can do that right where you are. You can apply Jesus Christ and him crucified to your life personally for the first time today. Brother and sister in Christ, are you determined? Are you determined to know nothing among this world except Jesus Christ and him crucified? The question has come up in my mind this week as I've been raked over the coals with this by God, praise him, is that what could I eliminate in my life this week that would help me to know Jesus and him crucified more? Some of the things that have come into my mind are these. Maybe I could turn off the news a little bit more. Doesn't matter anyway. in the big picture of things. Maybe I need to turn off social media in my life more. Maybe I need to just cease striving in the, in the suffering that God's allowed in my life and trying to fix the situation I find myself in. Maybe I just need to cease striving and bask in the fact that Christ Jesus and him crucified is there for me. Maybe just practically we and I need to, or you and I need to eliminate a meal in our lives this week so that we can just take some time and fast and pray and thank God for this wonderful gift of his son in Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And so I plead with you, brothers and sisters in Christ, as you are among this world system, I plead with you that you and I would be determined and resolved to know nothing among this world except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the writings of Paul to the believers at Corinth and how they are so true for us today because it's your word, not Paul's words. And you alone are almighty power. And God, right now, I know in my own heart and in the hearts of many and all of us in this room right now, you're seeking to do a work. Lord, I pray that each one of us would respond in any way that you're working, any way you want us to right now. That you would do whatever it takes for that unbelieving one in this room to stop trusting in themselves and just to turn completely over to Christ and surrender it all. And then for brothers and sisters in this room and and for myself that, God, we feel the tendency, we feel the pull of the world to dabble in it and to try and find things in it that we think are gonna satisfy, but ultimately it's only you in in Christ crucified. So Lord, do whatever it takes in my life this week and in the lives of my brothers and sisters here at Lakeside. Do whatever it takes to have us know nothing else in this world except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You are a great God. We love you today because you first loved us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.